0: Hello everyone and welcome to PR Tech Wednesdays. This is the weekly webinar where thought leaders discuss the latest in PR tech. If it's Wednesdays, it's PR Tech Wednesdays. Welcome to everyone from around the world. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. And you know, our business is changing so rapidly. I feel like waiting around for conferences to keep up to date is too slow. And actually there are no conferences anymore. So I put this weekly event together to uh, bring us together as a community um, on a more regular basis. So if you're here, welcome. This is your community too. And I'm glad you're here. We do this every Wednesday from 12 to 1 Pacific time. It's free and you can sign up at PRTechWednesdays.com. So this week uh, we have an expert panel um, of Los Angeles-based public relations leaders that I'm excited to introduce I know a lot of public relations leaders in LA and would have loved to have had everyone on the panel, but the uh, pa- the panels that are on today uh, were the top ranking websites for the keyword Los Angeles public relations, according to SEMrush. And so that's why I chose them. I didn't tell them that. They're finding that out right yeah, now.
1: That's great. Um,
0: we were supposed to have three. Uh, But we had some technical difficulties with Amy Levy. She's still trying to join in. And if she does, if she's able to do that, we'll add her to the call. Uh, But we have Bob Gold of Bob Gold & Associates. His clients include Amazon Studios, Hong Kong Trade Development Council, ESPN, Corning, and many others. Bob, welcome. Thank you. Um, And Kimberly Goodnight of Media Playground PR, which reps um, some of the uh, hottest LA uh, fashion brands and accessory and beauty and lifestyle brands. Uh, Kimberly, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh,
0: This episode is presented by the 2020 Media Monitoring Buyer's Guide. Uh, This is the most comprehensive, (laughs) up-to-date, analysis of uh, traditional and social media monitoring technology available. It's 54 pages. It's vendor neutral. I wrote it because I felt frustrated by the amount of information that was out there to help make a buying decision around media monitoring. It's got a feature-by-feature comparison chart that I put together side-by-side. It also has user ratings for uh, agency users, client users, and uh, um, executive sponsors. So you can kind of see how individuals that actually use the platform think it performs over time. Right. Um, And you can download a copy of that at ericschwartzman.com forward slash monitoring. Our bookstagram of the week is how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Now this is the most successful motivational self-help book ever written. Um, In 1912 in New York City, Dale Carnegie was holding these seminars where he was basically teaching what was in the book. In 1934, a publisher from HarperCollins, oh no, sorry, from Simon & Schuster, took the class and afterwards said, you got to let me turn this into a book. He put a stenographer into the class, wrote it down. The first 5,000 copies sold right away. Since then, there's been 17 edition Editions and 30 million copies sold. So it's the most successful motivational self help book of all time. If you haven't read it, there's seven things the book will do for you. One, it'll help you make friends quicker and easier. Two, it'll help you increase your popularity. Three, it'll help you win people over to your way of thinking. Four, it'll increase your influence, your prestige, and your ability to get things done. Five, It'll help you win new clients. Six, it'll make it easier to handle complaints and avoid arguments. And seven, it'll make you a better public speaker. If I just to sum this book up in one word, I'd say it's about empathy. Empathy, which is really the basis of all relationships. So if you have a chance to check it out, I think you'll enjoy it. It's a classic The chat room is open for questions, so feel free to ask away, welcome to everyone. Um, Let's get started. And I'd like to, yes, Bob? I, I just wanted to tap
2: into that, you know, the book is about empathy, I like how you said that, but we're also here today to talk about relationships, because all business is the business of relationships, and I'll let you go into your
0: questions. Okay, awesome. Relationships. So let's start. I want to start with a discussion about media relations right now during the pandemic. You know, we call this the pitch perfect pandemic PR panel. So, what I want to do is talk to you guys about how you have altered your pitching strategy during the pandemic. Because, I mean, everything I'm reading right now is related in some way to the COVID 19 crisis. So, I mean, is it your sense that the pandemic is absorbing all the news media's capacity for coverage, or are they still interested in other stories? And if so, what? You know, if I can jump in, Kimberly, on that. Yeah, sure. um, uh,
2: We worked with other PR agencies to do a survey of what was happening coverage-wise. Because obviously, from our side as a PR agency and trying to pitch and work with media, it's really important to know what's going on. And across the board, if we looked at all major media, you know, we're talking about the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, CNBC, CNN, et cetera, 90% of all major media tier one coverage is COVID, COVID related. And if you don't have a COVID or COVID related story, you're out of business. But the game changes when you go to tech media or you go into verticals, the traditional trade media that we go to. Because while, yes, they're looking at COVID-related stories that how it's affecting their businesses, they're also looking at new products, new innovations, new services, trends, insights, the traditional business that they're in of moving that forward. And by the tech media, I'm talking about like The Verge, Tech Republic, those kinds of trades or, or tech media. And by trades, I'm talking about everything from American cement to multi-channel news. So yeah, that's what we've seen. And that's important because as PR people, being able to speak to our audience about our clients and business is essential.
1: Absolutely. And as far as the fashion realm goes, um, you know, fashion brands from luxury like Prada, you know, Versace, Ralph Lauren, um, they've all like manufactured you know, PPE equipment for the, you know, healthcare workers or the frontliners, right down to like food banks and blood banks and school organizations. So this is a big time for fashion to that to, you know, show how they are stepping up and being part of the community and being relevant and being empathetic and focused on, you know, what the cause is, it's been very important for them.
2: We have a
0: question from
2: one of our members of the audience. Do you
0: want to take us through that? Um, let me uh, let me ask a, one an, one question first before we do that, uh, because you know it's a fine line between like you know a tasteful, thoughtful COVID nineteen pitch, and you know an outright cringeworthy coronavirus pitch, and and I've seen a good amount of coverage of distasteful PR pitches. Muckrack, um, uh, Jennifer uh, Lawler, I'm sorry, Jessica Lawler, who's the editor at the Muckrack right. blog ran a post featuring journalists' tweets about bad COVID-19 pitches. And uh, some of the ones that were on there were uh, a pitch by a a glasses company saying that, you know, it's good to wear glasses because it stops you from touching your face. Uh, Another was one about how installing uh, AstroTurf can protect you from catching coronavirus. Um, So, have you had to argue against any tacky pitches that clients maybe brought up that you said, well, maybe we shouldn't go that way? And if so, how do you decide you know, what's tasteful and what's not in this environment?
2: Yeah. You know, um, Corning is one of our clients. And in fact, this morning we were on a conference call specifically talking about it because we represent Corning and what they're doing in fiber, you know, fiber cable and uh, really supporting ISPs and the cable industry to provide the broadband infrastructure that allows so much communications and demand. But Corning is also a world leader in the testing kits and the glass pipettes and other areas that are essential in COVID testing. And you haven't heard about Corning's participation, their donations, and their other leadership areas of where they're working literally round the clock in manufacturing to help fight COVID. So our conversation was, I don't wanna to necessarily tout donations, everyone's making donations, but I'd like other industries to know where your life sciences is being so critical and essential so that if I'm a cable operator and I'm buying your fiber, I think I would like to know, just as an FYI, that you're also very active in this area. It makes me feel really good about Corning to know that they're a front leader and so in demand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. It is so important again, to consult our clients that um, the tone is very important and you have to send the right message. You don't have a lot of time to do so uh, because things are changing so fast and customers will remember what, how you reacted and what sort of message you put out there to share. Um, For the short term, it's important for our clients to either one, be manufacturing, helping out the front lines, or two, if they don't have the facility or know how, then they do fall back on, you know, uh, donating proceeds, you know, of their sales towards an organization that can make a, a difference at this point. But then the big picture is brands that are sustainable. So it's about the education and being part of the solution going forward. So it's all about doing the positive. And if a client doesn't have anything like that, it's really going back to basics. We're like, you know, looking deep within their assortment and what their plans are for spring, summer, 20, and fall, winter, 21.
0: I um, was looking through the emails that I'd received uh, that were COVID or coronavirus uh, related. I I got my first one actually from Christopher Penn, who does the uh, Trust Insights newsletter newsletter and who runs a company that is um, a data analytics company. And then I got one from, I think, my bank, and then a venture beat story. And, you know, if I ran a histogram on it, and I saw it just basically spike up real quick until, you know, I, I basically became desensitized to the emails and started deleting okay. them before I even opened them. And I noticed that, like, a lot of big brands sent me these COVID-19 emails that really had no newsworthy, relevant, useful information in them. They were just a link to the CDC website or a link to the SBA website of where you could apply for a loan. And I started thinking about this this idea of, you know, stuff we all know, emails. Kind of like stuff we all get swag, you know, But you understand why a big organization would put out that email, you know, perhaps they feel pressure to not look tone deaf, to be connected, they want it to look like they're not asleep at the wheel. But, you know, in that type of an environment, I'm not sure email is the best channel to communicate through, you know, if they're not offering something new and useful. Um, I did receive, I just, I'll share a couple examples. I did receive a couple really useful emails. I received an email from Blueberry, the podcasting company which hosts my podcast with free ready to go COVID PSAs that I could include in my podcast. I received an email from Canva, which has the online designs with all these COVID-19 uh, social media templates for Instagram. I thought that was pretty novel. Talk to us about you know what you're going through with your clients in terms of their need to feel like they're connected and to feel like they're part of the community and participating and and maybe perhaps sometimes being a little too aggressive with how they do that how are you managing that with your clients really
1: okay <laughs> so um for the fashion industry it it really pretty much came to a halt you know and everybody started isolating themselves. It took a while for them to feel comfortable enough to knowing where their finance, uh, you know, the consumer to feel comfortable know where their finances are to if there's going to be any online shopping during the, you know, quarantine period. Um, so for brands to, you know, put their message out there, it's extremely important. Not only that, it's um, the ones who have been able to, you know, utilize their resources with manufacturing and keep some of the economy going with their their workers and the sewers and and offer product for some of their e-commerce specialty stores to have merchandise available that is relevant to here and now so if they are selling you know stylish mag- uh, mass at this point it can drive traffic to their site and therefore some of these specialty stores and e-commerce uh, you know retail stores can still have um, some circulation and rotation
2: You know, Kimberly and I are very different uh, businesses and uh, perspectives in terms of what we're working with. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh,
2: Fashion being something that is so consumer driven, so of the moment. And I'll just say one of the biggest issues certainly is there's so much email and spam coming out about products that are not real, that people are taking their money or going to hoarders. or. there's there's an authenticity issue that's there. In terms of B2B communications, which is where we spend most of our efforts, I think the issue is communicating effectively. How are you treating your staff? What are you doing with your employees? How are you providing the services and needs that need to get out there if you're a manufacturer? Um, The stuff that people need to know in terms of supply chain management. And so I think at each each company has a different issue. If I'm Wells Fargo, I'm going to probably communicate something differently than if I'm Kaiser Permanente.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
2: But um, I, I'd like to I'd like to just add and say the thing to keep in mind is we are in a wartime economy and a wartime experience. This is the entire world is at war. There is not any way that we should think that it's business as usual. The truth is, for most of us, we were involved in a growth and business transformation endeavor for years. It was how to make our businesses grow, get more leads, do more sales, and how do we transform our companies to be current and proper in this environment. Today, almost every business is not looking at growth and transformation, they are looking at liquidity. I've got 2 or 3 months cash flow in the bank. How do I maintain that to simply survive through this process and what is it going to take? So, I think there's a very different issue and we need as PR professionals, we really need to learn how to pivot to this new mentality of what it takes to stay liquid and survive and for many companies, that's going to be about restructuring and not continuing well, as
0: we were. That's a great segue. Because, you know, I mean, we are we are at a standstill. I saw this morning, you know, retail is hammered. I don't know if the markets have even really fully accepted and reacted to this standstill that we're in. We don't know how bad it is. We don't know how long it's going to last. And, you know, in a down economy, typically marketing and PR is the first thing to go.
1: Yep, so so
0: I, what I'd like to talk about, I'd like to hear from you guys is, what are you hearing from your clients? I mean, are they asking to cut their retainers? Um, you know, how, how is it impacting your, your portfolio business? And are you thinking about maybe new service offerings that would be more appropriate for lean times?
1: Well, again, going back to, you know, how this has affected the fashion industry, absolutely 100%. I mean, we have clients that are, you know, from Australia, from England, and, you know, so like like Bob was saying, this is a world, you know, pandemic and we're, we're under siege, so to speak. So it has affected our overall bottom line. Um, but there are a number of clients who um, are staying in the game. They understand that PR is very important. This is not a time to be quiet. And they need some guidance. And that's where, you know, we come in and, you know, with the years of experience and just, you know, making sure that they're having the right voice um, and tone out there. Because there is no going back. You can't look back. You can only move forward, and you have to start off correctly. It's a very sensitive time right now.
2: So I just want to jump in on that. I agree, Kimberly. um, For us, we haven't lost a single client, which is amazing. I have reached out to some of the clients uh, proactively to say, how does this affect you? How can we work together? Uh, A couple, we're going to be moving towards uh, smaller retainer fees for the going forward and more on demand. We're seeing a growth of on demand services Mm -hmm. because people want to harbor their cash. It may be that there's a change of what, they may end up spending as much, but they're doing it in smaller increments to get what they want. And it's about a guaranteed product deliverable that they're buying each time. And that's one way of responding to this. I think that, uh, let's talk generally about the five phases of what we're experiencing. And these are medical terms. And the first phase, of course, was the pandemic itself when the infections, and we saw that. The second phase is mitigation, which we're currently in, and mitigation, which is safer at home, social distancing. And we're seeing a lot of messaging that needs to be done about that. The third phase is about to head. And the third phase is when we start to come out of our houses. And we begin to interact again and there's going to be an increase in infections that go up we are still establishing protocols we don't have a shared sense of protocols of what is appropriate we're learning as we go and we find it differs by city it differs by county it differs by state and it certainly differs with one country to another of what's appropriate Communicating these protocols is going to be an essential part of our job in all areas and how we move forward. The fourth stage is going to be vaccination, Mm -hmm. right? Vaccination, when is that going to happen? Well, honestly, the pharmaceutical companies are just gearing up to begin testing, which will happen this summer for the most part. I think Israel has two vaccines that they think they can start to get to test in the next 60 days. Testing is a process. So we're going to look at this early fall as a time period where we'll start to see the kind of results that indicate we may have a variety of different vaccines that, that address different portions of what COVID affects. Then we have to do mass production of the vaccine to get a population inoculated. That's nine months to a year. Right. So we're looking at a process that is really going to take us to the summer of 2021, mm-hmm. and then. We are in stage five.
0: What do you think stage five is, Eric? What containment looks like, you know, life after containment, I mean, my sense is, there's gonna be a lot of brands that need to relaunch. Yes. Everyone's gonna to have to relaunch their business. And
2: how do we prepare for the next pandemic? Because that's phase five. We've gotten our vaccination, we're relaunching, we're reengaging, and the world is going to be different. I don't know how yet, but we're not going back to what was before. I- we lost you, Kimberly.
0: It looks like she's having a little delay. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. we'll just give it a sec for that to re- reside. Um, Can we talk about trade shows and conferences in this regard? Yeah, I mean, because I know a lot of them are going virtual now. Yeah. So um,
2: I- I'll just say, under the guideline of what I, I've spoken to, and no one has disagreed with me about this timeline, I believe that although a lot of conferences have been put off to beginning in August and September, September is packed, just so packed. I think there's a lot of wishful thinking. I think there's a lot of daydreaming. I think we have a lot of companies that are still in the business of gatherings and providing you know, face-to-face community and everyone from schools and campuses to conferences and trade shows are going to have to rethink. And um, and again, uh, I know like I was invited to a conference in Manhattan uh, in October and I said, when there's a vaccine, I'll come there. Otherwise I'm available by
0: video. Mm
1: -hmm. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Oh, perfect.
0: Did you want to add something?
1: Oh, well, I was just saying, you know, the last comment is that the masks, um, you know, what he was saying, what is it going to look like after containment is that the mask is going to be part of street style, and it's here to stay for a long, long time. So uh, any designers that can get, you know, get in the game. It's not a bad, bad thing to do because it's going to be here for a while. So and as far as trade shows go, yes, um, the largest trade show in the country for fashion is the magic trade show that happens twice a year in Las Vegas and it, you know, it, it can make and break brands. And so it'll be interesting to see how they can um, infiltrate that back into generating, you know, more business.
0: I have a um, a client who specializes. He's a his name is Bob Cooney, and he is a virtual reality specialist. Um, and you know, prior to the pandemic, he had been advising companies on how to use virtual reality in different aspects of their business. And you think about like you know what this means for virtual reality. This really is the moment for VR to step up to the plate. And really even the definition of what is virtual is sort of finding its place. You know, Originally we had thought virtual was just a headset, but if you use Slack, that's virtual working, right? And this obviously is a virtual conference. So, I mean, I, there are some events that I used to have to get into a car and attend that I now prefer to attend virtually Um, There are some that I would like to attend virtually as well. So from a comm standpoint, from a PR standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, do you think this sort of cements virtual experiences? And if so, what type of events are going to be right for virtual and what type of events are going to be right for real life?
1: Um, I could start off uh, by saying for fashion brands, Instead of having a, you know, live runway show, then you can lean on virtual runway shows. So it'll be a smaller, more intimate group. You can, you know, practice social distancing between the models and amongst themselves. And then um, invitation.
0: We lost her. Um, Looks like she's having a connection connection problem. Um, Cindy Hunter has asked a question and I'd like to bring her in via video to ask her question. Um, is that okay with her? Um, I don't know. I'm going to allow her to talk and see if she wants to ask it herself. Cindy, if you're listening, I'm going to open it up so you can talk. Okay. Cindy, do we have you there? Cindy, can you unmute your mic? Well, I guess not. I will go ahead and ask her question for her. She says, how do you help a client that's hurting because of the current, exa- because of the current environment? For example, one of our clients is an executive recruiter. And, uh, and by the way, she gives you a shout out, Bob. Hi from uh, Cindy Hunter. So why don't you take the question?
2: Yeah, you know, I think we all have to look at each client and their business differently. Um, The good news is, with so many people that are being let go, with the consolidation that's happened in the entertainment industry, um, I have not been uh, corrected when I say nearly 10,000 entertainment executives have lost their jobs due to just the consolidation of the studios um, that have gone on. So there's an enormous amount of talent that's out there. And uh, I think from an executive recruiting standpoint, they, ferreting through the degree of talent that's there and really helping to uh, platforms that the, uh, the companies that are hiring are getting the best, I think a real opportunity and I think uh, positioning like executive recruiters, I think they have their finger on the pulse of a lot of what's gone on because a lot of leadership that's out there have been placed by these people.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting uh, uh, comment here from, uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name, from uh, Rocio Prado. Um, he says, um, I think that beside the rough time, it's an opportunity for brands to experiment uh, with online tools and use them in the future because it's going to change our way of doing things.
1: Yes. Um, can you hear me?
0: <laughs> yeah, we got you. We okay, got you great. Back.
1: Great. I know Rocio. Um, hello, Rocio. Amazing. Um, she uh, works in the fashion PR um, industry with us, and uh, from Argentina, and so she brings a very young, fresh perspective on you know what she's attracted to as a consumer, and as a marketer herself. Um, so again, stories, Instagram, all the you know social platforms for you know the young um, are just vital right now. This is how we're going to actually educate the next group and how to prevent from the next, you know, crisis or how to um, better set ourselves up for not, you know, coming to this sort of catastrophe, you know, state that we're in. Um, so yes, she is absolutely correct. And just to, everybody has to embrace it.
2: I like to go back to uh, the whole concept of conferences and this virtual lifestyle that you brought up, Eric. You know, uh, as Barbara Streisand once eloquently saying, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world, right? Yeah. So we are, people need each other. We are gatherers. We like to gather together. We need each other. And, um, and the ability to have virtual is good. But it's virtual. It's yeah. not real. And, you know, with conferences and trade shows and other gatherings, what happens over a cocktail? What happens in the schmooze time that, that goes on and the handshake in the moments between the presentation of the panel? A lot of business gets done just by being seen and being present and connecting with people. We are going to have to go back to that. We are not mm-hmm. individual cave dwellers and to think otherwise is not that true. I talked to a COO of a major healthcare company that spends over $6 million a year in rents and leases. And they said, you know, we've distributed our entire workforce. No one was let go, but everyone's working from home. We kind of like this. And we think we can probably go back to leasing about a million and a half dollars of floor space. And when we need to bring people together, we will use a hotel ballroom. So I think we're going to see a lot of changes Mm -hmm. in both how we use our spaces what's appropriate we know we need to gather but we may see smaller executive offices you know conference rooms and then an open space where people can kind of come in or work remotely and for those of us who live in los angeles not having to
0: commute is phenomenal yeah you know what strikes me as interesting i mean all the, there's so many CFOs now looking at their balance sheet asking, how the heck am I going to cut expenses? I've got to lower expenses. There, uh, you know, so many employees had been telecommuting virtually, virtually already. Now this sort of forced everyone to be working from home. And, um, you know, if, if the result is that organizations slash their commercial real estate investment And take a a much smaller footprint to house employees what does that do to sort of the ideation the creative ideation that that goes into pr campaigns because so much of that is about sitting down with other people and i mean we're doing it here virtually but you know being in the same room with someone we've always felt like there's an advantage to that you guys both run agencies what's your thought on that i mean are you going to go virtual, are you gonna have your same commitment to uh, um, you know, office space as you always had? We'll have
2: the same commitment to office space as I've always had. Um, we will, we're all working remotely, but I, you know, I've always felt that um, that innovation happens collaboratively together and that tactical execution happens with people working from home and doing their task. But the innovation happens in that face-to-face meeting. So we're gonna need some kind of combination of both. And in terms of this rejiggering of real estate, I think what we're gonna see is a massive need for communicators to step up because we're talking about restructuring. Imagine all those malls and high-rise office buildings that will be converted to new housing.
1: Yeah um- our industry is definitely a hands touchy feely. Yes, you can order things online, but, um, when we do PR, we do a lot of photo shoots and we work with stylists and we work with talent and, and doing fittings. And, you know, so it is, um, a lot of one-on-one, you know, face time. And so I, we will continue with the same space. Well, we're, we're trying very hard to keep the same space and, uh, look forward to returning back uh, soon, hopefully. Um, but, uh, uh, we will probably be spacing our appointments, not having a lot of overcross, you know, and keep minimizing the foot traffic. So I, my, our days may be longer because we might have to stretch out our appointments, starting earlier in the morning to later at night, um, if if need be. Then that's what we'll have to do.
0: There's an, there's another issue. Sorry, you're not you're muted, Eric. Just a, a quick note for attendees. You know, the chat is moving too quickly for me to get your questions. So if you have a question, use the Q&A question feature in Zoom, and then I'll be able to address it. Uh, Bob, go ahead.
2: Uh, I had a brilliant thought, but I've lost it. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Well, let me, let me ask you guys this. Do you have any novel ideas for how to adapt your service model based on this looming economic crisis? Yeah.
2: I think all of us have to adapt. So, coming back to the verticals, the trade publications that we all, that is the lifeblood of so much industry. Advertising is going down. Conferences that used to be part of the community of every trade publication are non existent. Finding ways to monetize content, whether it's virtual through social media or in these kinds of webinars. Is going to be a challenge. It is a new economy that is emerging and a new price point that we haven't seen before, and that that's going to be critical.
0: Well, just a note on that, you know, and I think it's a something uh, clients miss a lot, but it's something we get because we we work the editorial side of of the outlet, not the advertising side of the outlet. So when we switch over to owned media and create our own content. You know, we have to create editorial content that has some value. And I think if you do that, you have the right to present some sort of conversion opportunity in context. The problem is so many people come straight to market with an advertorial product and it's boring and nobody's interested. You know, one of the... Oh, I'm sorry, Kimberly. oh,
1: no, just like you were saying before, you know, everybody kind of wants to be part of the party and with, you know, consumer confidence. So there has to be something organic about it. And that's what's really important going back to, you know, being empathetic in your tone, but also being super clear and super genuine. Um, you know, we can smell it a mile away when you see something that's insincere or, or like you're saying, there's no interest because it's an advertorial. But if you can, you know, you um, know outreach and, and get testimonials from real customers and, and you know, kind of re, uh, recycling old press making new press, you know, because those are, you know, ins- instant references um, for somebody to feel comfortable to, you know, invest right. and vet their time.
2: Um, you know, we've, we've gone through a few iterations of change. I've had my agency for 22 years and you don't stay around without constantly reinventing yourself to stay current. One of the things that we started about a year, year and a half ago is we give guaranteed results in our contracts so that for a PR agency, we're no longer promising we're going to work really hard for you. We're no longer promising we'll give our best efforts and see what we can do. We're saying these are many, how, how many placements in tier ones, how many placements in tier twos, what kind of bylines, what kind of speaking ops? what kind of exposure, what kind of thought leadership pieces, will we draft and get out? And we're putting numbers to it. We're tracking it in our KPIs, key performance indicators. And we have monthly reports to say, how are we doing against budget? Budget meaning you're buying guaranteed outcomes, not efforts. And that's one step in this retransformation that I think more people are going to look at if companies are going to have to harvest and harbor their cash reserves, they are going to change what they're willing to buy and when to go to market.
1: And you know, uh, going back to what you said earlier, it is about you know, customizing packages for the client's needs. Not every client has the same budget, has the same product, and therefore um, you know, it's easier to kind of you know, service them by the pound and not so much by a hard set retainer. Right. So. right.
0: We've yeah. got a question, and I'm, I'm sorry if I don't pronounce uh, your name but well, but I'll try. It's Pia'a Arma, and the question is, are you encouraging your clients to participate or comment on the recovery? Is environmental, social, corporate uh, communications part of the conversation? You know, I think uh,
2: this is a very risky time. And the truth is, what's to be gained by commenting, right? Unless you have facts or some insight and data, I would say, keep your head down, Let's stick to playing the game of football that we're supposed to do. You know, one of the big issues I was hearing today on NPR, not mine, but it's the limited information of saying how many people have tested positive how many people tested positive out of how many people being tested, we don't know that number. It hasn't been reported. The CDC requires that all forms on testing be faxed or emailed to them where they're printed out and read by a human being. There's no automation going on. We don't know if people are are working in uh, congested areas that are getting getting, uh, COVID-19. We don't know if they're living in congested areas. We don't have enough data, and it's not being shared. Mm-hmm. In the absence of meaningful data to shape our medical establishment and the protocols and responses, if we want our clients to comment, they can only speak firsthand from their own experience and own that authenticity. And it needs to be relevant if it's right.
1: Right. Yeah. Correct.
0: Uh, we have a question from Jonna uh, Burke. Uh, she is the uh, the chair of AMAC. Which is the the monitoring association? The really the global organization representing the media monitoring community. And her question is: um, How will you balance the team's well being by proposing longer hours and days after they acclimate to more flexibility with virtual? Um,
1: you know, it it just we're going to have to make it work, and on an eternal like uh, team level it's just something we're going to have to do and, you know, adapt as we go. Um, Maybe we host less appointments per day um, to fulfill, you know, fit in within a timely, um, you know, schedule, but it's just something we're going to have to trial and error. Yeah.
2: You know, we have a client called Plume, which um, is, helps to manage wi-fi in the home comcast is a major investor cox is rolling it out rogers shaw they have um over 20 million homes residential homes that they're in and they are monitoring over 700 million smart home devices and the reason for that is if you can reduce a call to your cable operator because a device isn't working because they already see what's happening and can kind of fix that load and manage it, uh, it's pretty good. And here's what we are seeing. There's a huge spike in PC use at home throughout the day in the weekends and through the weekends, the uh, the weeknights. What's happened is the eight hour workday is history. It's Mm -hmm. gone. It doesn't exist anymore. And it's probably not going back. The use of entertainment devices whether it's your set-top box or PlayStation uh, device or whatever that you're using to access and stream entertainment is going on during the day because there may be kids at home or you may be streaming something in, uh, in the background, but it's zooming up at unbelievable levels. And more importantly, we're seeing cell phones as well being used throughout the day with spikes throughout the evening. The bottom line here is, How do you put back in the box an eight hour workday? Nice.
1: That's good. Um, You know, if you do leave your home on a regular basis um, to going to an office, you're just going to, you know, shut it down. During certain hours, if if it's time to dedicate to your family, if it's time to dedicate to taking you know self care, um, if it's a massage or meditation or whatever it may be, I mean we're really just going to have to be you know kind to ourselves and people that we're around and and have some foresight because if we overextend ourselves or burn ourselves out, it's not going to be you know fruitful at the end of it. So
2: and and you know Pia has just made a comment in the chain about and I'll just read it, recovery hopefully will include recognition that part-time gig workers, et cetera, cetera, are essential to the economy and will need better pay, healthcare, et cetera. And I think you're right on there, Pia. I think we need to reevaluate how we're treating people. I would like to believe, I would like to believe that every pandemic, you know, I just came out of Passover, the, the plagues, right? What is the message of the plagues? Can we hear it? And ultimately, I'd like to believe that we come out of this with a better symbiotic relationship of those that can taking care of those that can't, of taking care of the environment that can, Mm -hmm. of taking care of the animals that can't, because we're seeing better air, better water. We're seeing that we need to have a new kind of economy Mm -hmm. where... People of value at any level are being recognized, compensated, and protected appropriately.
1: Absolutely. Amen. <laughs>
0: we have a question from Pam Miller. She's a veteran tech comms practitioner in Seattle. Pam, welcome. She says she's seeing news about many of the media outlets continuing to, fur- continuing to furlough and or layoff staff. Um, have these changes impacted you in the short term?
1: Um, yes, as far as uh, I think it's impacted all of us, no matter what industry you're in. Um, again, going back to the fashion industry, absolutely things have come to to a halt. You know, re, you know, brick and mortar stores aren't even open and um, buyers are afraid to buy anything further. So, you, you know, you're jeopardizing your health, your wholesale team. And I'm sure if they've had to let people go and, and if they're going to rehire them after. And continue. so um yeah but it, it's going back to you know the pr part of it is really maintaining a strong positive um forceful voice like we've got to get through it like he said everybody's going to find the value and protect that value but we have to do it together stay positive and go after better results not what we were doing before this happened it needs to it needs to change and it is going to change.
2: Yeah, I I agree with that. You know, um, it's crazy time, crazy days. And I I get angry when I'm with some very entitled people complaining that they went to CVS and couldn't get their $10 bonus bucks and how they were struggling to get that department, which was not open to and respond to them. So they got their $10 bonus bucks people have lost jobs people are trying to make ends meet people are dying we have a we have to become sensitized and find out how to participate i am overwhelmed and i don't know how to give back into the community of need i really don't i think that that this is a communications issue that i'd like to hear more of for example Uh, We talked about Cindy Hunter. Cindy and I worked years ago in launching a silver disinfectant that was used in hospitals and how great. I don't know which disinfectants to use and not to use, right? What's the difference between disinfectants? There are so many. Where is that communication? Where is the communication that is telling us how to help and where to step in? My sister was telling me in London, he was a guy who was going around his house a thousand times and hoping people would make a donation, and he would raise a dollar a pound from every person you know he knew, and he would get a thousand pounds to give to National Health Views for their charities. He's raised seven million pounds already,
0: wow. and it's growing. Yeah, that's incredible. But hey, I want to switch gears because there's a bunch of other stuff I do want to ask. Sure, sure, sure. Um, have you guys pitched any new business via Zoom?
1: You mean for new clients? Yeah. yeah. I have not personally. I've been, um, you know, interacting with my staff on Zoom and personal parties. And <laughs> we, we had a, a quarantine time yesterday. So that was great with um, some people in the industry. So, but, that, but no, nobody knew yet.
2: So we're very active. We use Microsoft Teams. We use Zoom. We use WebEx. We use Skype. and We use WhatsApp yeah and then there's like the slacks and all the others the the level of platforms for us to communicate on has exponentially grown and just to be clear we were very very busy in new business and then two weeks ago it kind of fell off but we're still in a new business conversation and i believe in may we'll be bringing on new clients
0: Right yeah. Bob, you 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 wrote this article in PR Daily about dark PR, mm-hmm. which basically includes the placement of negative stories, anonymously drafted attack pieces, misleading content on influential websites, payments to unscrupulous journalists, hiring social media trolls to post negative comments and flood search results with negative content to drive positive results down. Um, you know, it's it's uh, clearly you know stealing a page from the playbook of politics. Um, talk to us about the story you wrote, your experience in this area of dark PR.
2: Yeah, I think public relations as a, as a, uh, as a profession has changed dramatically in my lifetime <laughs> and in my uh, professional lifetime. And part of that is the line in the sand keeps moving. For example, we write bylines for executives that get placed in trades. The executive didn't write it, we did. For example, we'll write posts in LinkedIn the, and we're posting for our companies or our clients. They are not even reviewing what we're doing. We're posting in Facebook, we're posting in Twitter, we're posting in Instagram. And then we get into crisis communications. And in crisis communications, somebody always says the other guy is the bad guy and they wanna get even. So what does that mean? Well, it turns out there are legitimate publications that I won't name whose webmasters will be except for a couple hundred dollars to take a story down. And you'll get an error 404 if you look for that story to come back up. There are reporters who will take a fee and write a hit story with information that you can provide about the opposition to your client um, and get it placed in a legitimate trade or a legitimate business publication to drive forward the combination, the the conversation that the other guy is incredible. I call that dark PR. When we start not traditionally trying to get recognition for the good things that we do and instead try to attack the bad side of the other side. We saw that, for example, in uh, when Whole Foods CEO started anonymously posting all kinds of terrible things about Sprouts when they were trying to merge with Sprouts, right? Today, that's, no CEO would do it themselves. They would hire a PR agency that would be happy to go on an attack campaign and reputation because we have so many digital sites that are available.
0: It's Have either of you come head to head with a troll farm or with a troll operation that you had to sort of debunk or defang?
2: Yeah. Reddit is a great place. I'm sorry, Kimberly. Yeah, no,
1: I, haven't. I, I, we personally haven't, I got to tell you, the fashion is, is tends to be more on the positive. What's looking forward and season to season. Um, I mean, the, the sustainable, um, area of fashion though, it can get, you know, Um, calling people out, oh, that's being greenwashed, or you're not using enough UN sustainable goals and things like that. So in the sustainable field, it can be a little bit more um, accountable than the other areas.
2: Right. And you know, uh, all it takes is an ounce of credibility to get a veracity of getting a story to move from the outer fringes of online uh, chat boards and the rest to come to mainstream media. And today, the misinformation of COVID takes only 14 days to come forward and become repeated by by the media. You know, one of the things that happened in the great uh, recession of 2008 was so many journalists were laid off that, the you know, what makes – Uh, any kind of outlet, news outlet, really viable is their ability to investigate and look at stories that haven't been told and investigate that. And that takes a lot of time and bandwidth that they don't have, especially as more and more Mm -hmm. people are let go, right? LA Times just let go another 40 people because of a lack of advertising. So, so So the bottom line is reporters don't have the bandwidth to completely vet their sources and get things done in the traditional sense, it's easy to slip through the cracks.
0: Yeah. You know, um, just to add something, uh, last week we had Kami Haiza on the show and uh, she does a LinkedIn live. She had Scott Bardell on who I've known for a while. He's out of Texas. He was talking about earned plus media. He was talking about these sort of outlets where you pay a fee and you can publish. And there's one Uh, called uh, community.co. And they have these councils. You pay a couple grand a year, you're part of a community and they have a deal with Forbes where if you publish stuff and it's, you know, you can't just write anything, you know, it's very, they're very strict on inbound links and that type of thing, but you can publish and it will run as an advertorial. And obviously that's a way for Forbes to pick up a few extra bucks. They're doing it with uh, business journals. They're doing it with Ad Age as well. Um, So in this area of sort of sort of the halfway line between earned and paid, are you guys doing anything there? Uh,
1: We are not. We're going solely after credibility and being as organic and clear as possible, you know, because, again, um, we're not paying influencers, we're not paying talent, we're not paying for pay to play editorial. Um, we're really pushing on what's good about the product, what's good about the brand. You know, if they're active in their community, as far as like, you know, with charities or, or moving forward with sustainability, that, that is newsworthy and especially if the voice is more important now than ever. So we're really pushing hard on the positives and why it's so important to pay attention to this for the better good for all. So,
2: You know, I I have to say we have. Uh, There are plenty of places for for pay for getting your story out there. Forbes has its Forbes Tech Council and Leadership Council. And for $1,500, you can be at Forbes. Um, There are a number of industry analysts who um, have become contributed writers at Forbes. And if you you know, sign up with them, they can write nice, positive stories about your clients. Um, there are, and that's just, that's just Forbes, which is a huge readership. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Forbes has made a business out of free content that comes into it from, you know, credible contributors. I think this is, uh, we're going
0: to see a lot more of this, and it's pretty common.
1: Yeah, the pay, the pay to play, or thing
0: right so we just have a little bit of time left and i want to talk about influencer relations because you know in order to be successful in influencer relations you do have to go one-to-one with an influencer because everybody wants something different and you know pr has really stepped up to the plate in that area so talk to us about you know how this has changed your influencer relations uh, approach
2: Well, Kimberly, this is really your category because fashion is driven by influencers. How are you working with that?
1: Daily, 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 and it's a very diligent um, effort because it's about collecting data and sourcing through data and communicating one-on-one with them. If they're not local, you know, um, am I still there?
0: Yeah, yeah, we got you.
1: I'm sorry, it looked like I left. If they're not local, then it's definitely starting up relationships through their DMs. Um, But again, uh, we have been very privileged to have a beautiful space downtown to open it up for magazines to to host their editorial shoots on site. So they invite influencers into our doors, um, as well as, you know, um, influential actors.
0: Right. Well, it looks like we uh we lost, we lost uh, yeah, you're I'm back.
1: i back. You're I'm back. back. I'm back. Yeah. So uh yeah, so influencer it's been extremely important. The relationships that we have cultivated over the years, um, they've stayed, you know, true and honest with the con uh, with the products that they've really, you know, endorsed without any pay. So it has been very organic. Um and we are proud of that and want to continue that um
2: is there a mommy blogger that will write about one of your clients without pay
1: um mommy blogger no but they're mommy influencers so if they're bloggers they will not write a a, a piece on it no not without i have not not in a long time but i don't have any mommy and me products right now but um we've done diaper bags and all sorts of things for mommy and me but um but we do have people that will post on instagram and tag and do things like that um and fellowship. you know it could be a million plus so we're very fortunate in that area hey, but it's tough you, you got to keep going up
0: For all of you who ask questions, thank you. I think what I'm going to do from now on is I'm going to uh, say, if you ask a question, let me know in the question if I can bring you on screen, and then I'll be able to actually bring people on screen, and they'll be able to ask their questions live. Um, Next week, we have the CEO of Talkwalker, Todd Grossman. Uh, Talkwalker really you know they 've skyrocketed to the top of the social media monitoring space. They also have influencer monitoring it 's a killer platform. Um, Todd started at PR Newswire he was at Multiview in sales after that. then he founded an educational foundation that he led for thirteen years so he 's really got a strong cSR backbone uh, he 's been at Talkwalker for th- TalkWalker for the last five years really overseeing their meteoric rise and I'm excited to have him on the show next week. Um, so um, if you're watching this on on Facebook or on YouTube, uh, keep in mind or on, or on LinkedIn, keep in mind you can watch it live if you go to PRTechWednesdays.com and just sign up and then you can, you know, be part of the discussion. Um, I want to thank Flux Branding. Flux Branding is a world-renowned resource for defining your visual brand. Flux Branding is a group of creative visionaries and graphic designers dedicated to helping clients build brand identities. More information at ericschwartzman.com forward slash Flux Branding. And I want to thank Digital Dragon, where children can develop the skills they need to prosper in the age of machines. Digital Dragon teaches digital literacy to tomorrow's programmers, and you can find out more about them at ericschwartzman.com forward slash DD. I want to thank Kimberly and Bob for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for- It's a pleasure, and and I'm
0: thrilled with all the people that tuned in.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Thanks everyone for
0: showing up. Uh, This has been Eric Schwartzman, and we will see you next Wednesday.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Bye.